Are you here? I'm here, but you're not. You're you're just a, a figment of my imagination. Or maybe I've got that backwards. <laughs> no, no, I'm only playing. Welcome. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Boy, have we got an interview from the archives today with Leona Boyd, the first lady of the guitar. Miss Leona Boyd is a singer, a songwriter, guitarist, performing and recording artist. Uh-huh. Leona Boyd's music is a blend of folk music, classical, and world music. The latest single from Leona is entitled Nocturne and was released just recently, October 13th. It's a tune that's really worth your attention. Leona's upcoming album, Once Upon a Time, will be released later this fall. You know, the interview you're about to hear is a, a peaceful relaxing conversation that Paul had with Leona Boyd that was originally broadcast over the radio in Charleston, South Carolina in 2017. But we're bringing it out now to all of you. We got many more interviews coming out this year too, both new and from our extensive library. One of the best ways to stay up to date is to subscribe to Paul Leslie's YouTube channel. It's free and it's fun. All you do is hit the subscribe button and don't forget to ding, ding, ring that bell. And just a quick reminder, you've got the power within you to make the day better. Maybe not perfect, but definitely better. Now I think it's time, ladies and gentlemen, that we bring out the Leona Boyd interview. Let's listen together. It's a pleasure to be welcoming classical guitarist, singer, songwriter, author, Leona Boyd, oftentimes referred to as the first lady of the guitar. It's great to welcome you here. Hi, Paul. Pleasure to meet you over the uh, airwaves. Oh, it's our honor. You have this album out and autobiography, No Remedy for Love. We're going to be talking about a number of things. What has always been the purpose with the art you create? Well, uh, maybe as a, an artist, you want to please yourself. You, I love the sound of the guitar. I love the feel of the guitar. I love being able to express myself. But then I also love people's reactions. And books are different than albums. But in a way, writing songs is, is like a miniature little a little story. Every time you write a, a song, it has to say in three or four minutes a whole story, right? So I've loved the creative process for many years. Where does that come from, No Remedy for Love? Oh, I'm glad you asked me that. I was walking along a street in Toronto, where I'm mostly based these days, and I saw a quote up on a, a local church. It said, there is no remedy for love, but love more. And I thought, well, that is quite profound. I must find out who said that. So I used Google, and it's by Henry David Thoreau. It's one of his uh, most famous quotes. So I reduced it to, there's no remedy for love but to love more. And I wrote a song by that title. Luckily, it had not been taken before. And then the song came out a little bit cynical about love, which isn't really my own perspective on love. So I decided to send it to my friend Leonard Cohen. This was a few years ago before he passed. 
because it's a little bitter and it's comparing love to a kind of traitorous, treacherous woman. I thought he would like it, and he did, and he wrote me back a lovely letter, and I said, could I dedicate it to him? And then as it was on the album, I thought, why not call the album No Remedy for Love? And then when I was doing my autobiography, I thought, you know, it's probably a pretty good title for the book, too. How does Leona Boyd define love? Oh, that's a very complicated word. And there's so many different types of love. And, you know, I guess my whole life has been a search for love. Many people's lives are. It's, I don't have children. I had a cat at one point. I, at one point, I had a wonderful husband. And I've been blessed to have some great romantic love in my life, even though I'm single now. Um, but love is many more things. Love is, is compassion. It's love. You could love a, a country, a love a province, love um, a state. You could love animals. I wrote a song called People Who Care for the Animals because I love the people that take care of the animals that I love. I love nature. I did one called A Prayer for Planet Earth because I love nature and I'm very concerned what we're doing to the environment. There's many different manifestations of love, isn't there? I mean, there's spiritual love that many people feel. There's motherly love that I guess I haven't had that that type of love in my life, but love of family, love of so many things. I don't know. It's impossible. It's, it's a very complicated word. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> I was watching an interview that you did online it's actually available on youtube and you were talking a little bit about canada and just a moment ago you were talking about love for land and love for province mm -hmm. i was hoping you could speak a little bit about what makes canada unique and what about canada you identify with well there's a lot i don't identify with like i'm not a big hockey fanatic but i love the nature and when i was a little girl uh, in england we studied a poem called hiawatha the Song of Hiawatha, and it described this uh, native child growing up in, I guess it was northern Ontario. And as I, we went back and forward three times between England and Canada. So I was familiar with the Canadian landscape. And that inspired me to write a suite for classical guitar called My Land of Hiawatha. The first movement is Spirit of the, uh, what is it? Spirit of the Moving Waters, then Spirit of the Forest, and Spirit of the West Wind. I actually wrote it when I was living in Rosarito Beach, Mexico, trying to get um, whatever the status is to become an American citizen because I'm American as well as Canadian. And I had to be out of the country. So at that point, I had met my future husband and we went and lived in Rosarito Beach for a little while. But I was waxing nostalgic, remembering my canoe trips and my many stays in, in northern Ontario. And then when I did an album called The Return to Canada with Love, which came out, let's see, about 2011, it begins with an instrumental piece that I wrote called Spirit of the Canadian Northlands. And I love to open concerts with that because it's, it's a very powerful piece and very descriptive of our natural beauty. And believe me, I have traveled everywhere in Canada, so we do have some spectacular scenery, as you do in the U.S. too. For someone who is not familiar with your music, how would you define your music, and how would you describe it? Well, my music, when I started out, was purely classical. I didn't even compose my own pieces. I started out playing a lot of Spanish music, Granados, Defaya, Albanets, 
Tarrega, the the standard kind of Spanish repertoire that a lot of classical guitarists play, and also a lot of Bach and uh, Fernando Sor, Baroque pieces that I transcribed. I once did an album with the English Chamber Orchestra that was all Baroque music. But the beginning, I didn't do anything remotely popular. Then getting into the, let's see, was it early 80s, I did an album called The Romantic Guitar of Leona Boyd, and they were movie themes, and I loved doing that, and it sold like crazy, went uh, platinum. I also did a Christmas album called A Guitar for Christmas that broke all the records for for Canadian classical record. It was the first one ever to go platinum, and you know some of the pieces were a little, little more pop arrangements, but they were traditional Christmas carols nonetheless. And I also around that time had the opportunity to work with Chet Atkins. So even though I was playing classical guitar, we did an album with two session players and Chet and I. It's called the First Nashville Guitar Quartet. And that sure wasn't classical. And I'm sure some of the classical critics raised their eyebrows. (laughs) But I was brought up in the 60s listening to the music of Dylan and Joan Baez. And I always loved folk music and the Rolling Stones, but I didn't play that style. I was the opening act for Gordon Lightfoot for a couple of years, and we did hundreds of concerts all over the U.S., all the big summer sheds and the L.A. Amphitheater, played New York and Tanglewood, and I was playing strictly classical. I played played Debussy and uh, Bayonets, of course, and uh, some wonderful South American music, and people loved it. And I'm amazed that they, they sat through a half an hour of classical guitar before Lightfoot shows, But the times were a little bit different, and people were intrigued with the instrument and what I could do with it. Speaking of Gordon Lightfoot, he was a guest on this show. He gave a fantastic interview, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about him. What is he like, and what did you learn from opening for Gordon Lightfoot for those concerts? That was a very, very, very interesting experience for me. Because up until then, I had only played for little guitar societies and small groups of people scattered around North America at the beginning. I saw a whole other side of the music world (laughs) opening for Gordon. Uh, He'd heard me play and uh, sort of jokingly said, oh, I'll take you on tour one day. And anyway, as luck would have it, one of his opening acts canceled. And he said, how would you like to play in Minneapolis? And I was petrified because it was 5,000 people each show. And back-to-back two shows, but the audience was so receptive that he continued to use me as his opening act. So in between me touring, now I was doing more international concerts, I was touring with Gordon, and I did get to know him because we used to sit at the back of his Learjet, and in fact it was Gordon who encouraged me to write my own music because he saw that I was always studying scores by classical composers, and so I started writing my own, of course, classical style, not singing, but, and Gordon is, is a kind of paradoxical character, uh, I should say, but enigmatic. Uh, he, he has the most poetic lyrics and, and yet I don't see him as, a, well, he's such a, a funny mix of personalities. He, he had all kinds of problems with the management back there. And, and of course he was drinking a lot and I don't know, like everybody was except me, I did drink apple juice. <laughs> But he was uh, doing drugs, and anyway, he finally got his life together. He married my manager's uh, secretary, and, and but now he's happily married to another woman, American woman, Kim. And I just saw them quite recently because we did a, a concert 
where we were both on the billing just south of Ottawa. And I think we're going to be going, uh, I think he's coming, Ronnie Hawkins, who was a guest on a song I wrote for Lightfoot that's on the new album, just simply titled Lightfoot. He's selling his house and having a big farewell party. In fact, after I finish talking to you, I'm going to give Gordon a call and see how he's getting out there. Because in Toronto, I don't keep a car, so maybe I can ride out with him. But I always loved Gordon's music and his uh, his beautiful, poetic, unique songs, that folk music that I loved. And I'm thrilled that now I'm singing in that style and writing in that song. So he was an enormous influence, he and Leonard Cohen and all the different folk artists of the day. We're joined by Leona Boyd. I was hoping you could speak about that, the transition that you made from playing instrumental music to singing yourself. Well, never in a million years, Paul, did I think I'd ever sing. I was actually asked to leave a little choir when I was eight years old. (laughs) And they said, well, you can't sing, but you can present the flowers. And then when I was, we went back to England, I had to sing O Canada in front of my music class. I was just so mortified, my little weak voice trying to keep in tune, and I'm sure I wasn't. Then when I was a teenager, I remember I had an attempt at where have all the flowers gone? <laughs> and I thought, no, this isn't working. I def- And anyway, by that time, I'd fallen in love with classical guitar because my mother had taken me to hear Julian Bream. But I did love writing little songs, but I never thought I would be singing them. Uh, when I was quite young, well, I must have been about seven or eight, I won or maybe even earlier, I don't know, I won uh, the best infant school story. So I was good at telling stories, and my poems and writings were often published in the school yearbooks and newsletters. And even when I was little, I used to hum little songs to myself, but I never, ever could imagine actually being a singer because no one in my family sang, and we didn't go to church, so I didn't have much uh, opportunity to sing, really. But I did love the, the recorder and the melodica, and my early concerts were actually carol, well, carol playing, not singing, I guess. I used to go around the neighborhood and collect money, and half of it I could give to the Humane Society. But singing now and songwriting has opened up a whole new world for me, and I am just loving it. I take inspiration from everywhere, and it's a, like a second phase of my career. Who has taught you the most about music? Who has taught me the most? You know, I studied classical guitar technique with many wonderful teachers. I was very privileged because we had the Toronto Guitar Society and all the different great guitars came through. I would take private lessons. I got to study with Andre Segovia. Then I spent two years studying with Alexandre Lagoya in Paris and played for many different guitarists, John Williams and people that came to town or, or Segovia I met once in New York and he gave me a lesson. And then I started with Narciso Yepes, who was a great Spanish guitarist. So that was the technique. But I was very self-motivated. I don't think there was one specific person. And you learn a lot just listening to records, going to other people's concerts. It's really hard to say. I think as an artist, I didn't have one particular teacher. I, I learned from, from all of them. I listened to Leonard Cohen's albums and then got to know him and we'd have tea sometimes when I lived in Beverly Hills when I was married and I, he'd give me his latest record and I'd give him mine. And I'm sure even unconsciously there was some influence there and I've always loved poetry so his music appealed to me 
a lot. It's, it's sad. He's no longer around. But, you know, the one I loved the most, I guess, when I was a teenager was Bob Dylan. I mean, just the lyrics of Mr. Tambourine Man and Desolation Row. And I wasn't into the drug scene at all. I was not druggy, even though people all around me were. And we used to live in, well, we lived in Mexico um, when I was a teenager. So it, I, I was surrounded by that, but it, it never really appealed to me. What can I say? I love the music of Donovan too, and all those early, early folky people. But then I was also, I did a degree in music. So four years of university in classical music. And I must say, I wasn't that into the really contemporary avant-garde classical music, but I loved melody and the pieces that I chose were always the ones that had beautiful melodies and that were very expressive emotionally, not just intellectually, which a lot of the avant-garde music that they made a study at university was. So I've always loved great melodies, and I love writing them too. When you would exchange these albums with Leonard Cohen, would he provide feedback and vice versa? Well, uh, Leonard didn't really analyze or critique. He just uh, pay me compliments. But, you know, we got together and discussed a translation he'd made of uh, a poem by Garcia Lorca. And I was working on an album of poetry and music using poetry of Garcia Lorca and Pablo Neruda. Now, I was very lucky. I actually met Pablo Neruda. He's a great Chilean poet. And Garcia Lorca still remains my favorite. Spanish poet and Leonard loved him too. I told him I was really lucky I got to play on his guitar when I was in Granada. His grandniece allowed me to to hold his guitar because Lorca used to use the guitar when he wrote his amazing poetry. You know, he was shot by firing squad in the Civil War, which is just terrible for being gay. I think that was the main reason. But he he used such fantastic imagery. And Leonard, for instance, in a song called Take This Waltz, it's basically a, a translation of that Lorca poem, but I think Leonard actually made it better. I was just doing an interview the other day, and they wanted me to talk about Leonard Cohen, and, and you compare the two, and the imagery that Leonard came up with is, and I speak fluent Spanish, so I know about the translation. Leonard actually improved it, which is interesting, isn't it? Very. It occurs to me with your two books, you enjoy writing a lot. Yeah. Do you find that writing autobiography is a soothing or a therapeutic experience? Yes, I think writing is is something that uh, you get in the zone and it just flows. By the way, the question before you had asked me what I talked about with Leonard, we talked a lot about Buddhism and about life in Los Angeles. It wasn't just about music, about who he was dating. He was dating Rebecca de Mornay, and then we talked nostalgically about Montreal that I knew well when I was dating Pierre Trudeau for eight years. So we had lots of reminiscences about life in Canada. Anyway, sorry, I digress. But you wanted me to talk about how writing affects me. It's different experience. When I'm writing something, I find I can always go back and somehow make it better. You know, it's frustrating when you're writing an autobiography and then you, you read it later. You think, oh, I could have added this or I could have added that. But when you write a song, it's pretty much done. You have to get every word perfectly in place. Every rhyme just has to work. Or, I mean, I can stay up at night being tortured if I don't get the right word. So it's it's a struggle sometimes. And other times it just naturally falls into place. But once it's done, it's done. Rarely ever go back and tweak anything. And same with writing a classical piece. I've written 
dozens and dozens of pieces for classical guitar, and I don't go back and refine them. Uh, but writing a book, there's always more that I can add. So it's a never-ending process. Um, my new book, it took me four years, The New Remedy for Love, and then the other one, In My Own Key, My Life and Love and Music. I basically took eight years, and I wrote a lot of it while I was on planes, and I was traveling like crazy all over the world. I don't even know how I had time to write that first book. I packed so much into my life, and uh, it, it starts you know, with my childhood and then was right up to 1998. But I, I thought, well, I must do a new autobiography because people will wonder what happened. And I was, at that point, 1998, happily living in Beverly Hills, across from Ozzy Osbourne in a beautiful mansion with a husband who adored me and a beautiful cat and everything was all rosy. But then something happened. Do you want me to talk about that? Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, well, when musicians overplay and do a lot of practice, which I did because my teacher, Segovia, said five hours of practice a day. And I kind of took that to heart, and I loved the guitar so much that I usually did do three, four, sometimes five. In fact, when I was a student, sometimes up to eight hours. But when you do the same repetitive motion as I did using tremolo or certain arpeggios, and your mind is not completely focused and the hand isn't always relaxed, and in my case, I was often watching television and just by rote doing exercises thinking it was good for my hands, you can develop a condition. It's not a, a sickness, not an illness. It's simply a condition from overpractice called musician's focal dystonia. And there was a lot of misinformation about it. I didn't even know what it was at the beginning. But for six years, I had to quit playing guitar. Leon Fleischer quit for something like 30 years. And it has devastated the careers of many, many musicians. So I was searching. I, uh, I tell the story in this new book of all the different crazy Therapies I went to, um, really misdirected, not knowing what was wrong with my hands, thinking it was physical, and it really wasn't. It was that the neuroreceptors in the brain actually fired so many times, and they start to give the wrong message, and the brain maps can get smudged, but it only is in relation to one specific motion. In my case, it was my middle finger, so it's not like my whole hand was out, or and there's nothing physically wrong with the hand. People to this day keep thinking there was something, you know, they don't understand musicians' focal dystonia, but it's a very complicated thing because the more you practice, the worse it gets. <laughs> so I had to reinvent my technique completely. And at that time, I thought, I want to keep music in my life. And my former husband wanted me to quit altogether, which was the reason we ended up getting divorced. And luckily, we're still friends. And I'm I'm friends with his new wife, and it worked out well for them. And for me, I got my freedom, and I went to reinvent myself as a singer-songwriter. But I had a lot of struggles. It was very lonely. I cried many times, thinking my career is over. At the beginning, I had just finished a very successful album and tour called Camino Latino, and I had all these amazing guitarists guests with me from Alda Miola, Steve Morse from Deep Purple. I mean... In my life, I've been lucky to work with so many musicians, and suddenly I was off the stage, my own decision, because I knew I wasn't playing up to my own standards. And this musician's focal dystonia can really wreak havoc with your life. Thank goodness I was able to reinvent, and, and one door closed, but another has opened, and I'm still very much playing classical guitar, but I don't do the really tough pieces. I don't play concertos. 
But I now record, as you'll hear on the new album. I have a wonderful duo partner who, who accompanies me. I've written some beautiful pieces, if I say so myself. I'm very, very proud of all the albums I've done. I've did five new albums, which I never would have done that type of music. I'd probably still be playing Strictly Classical and Malaganya for the millionth time. So I'm quite delighted that uh, this opened a new pathway for me. I did an album called Seven Journeys, Music for the Soul and the Imagination, which didn't really require any virtuoso technique, but I wrote some beautiful melodies and I found a wonderful producer in Toronto called Peter Bond, who had actually engineered the Camino Latino album. And we've worked together on the last five albums. And it's, it's, it's just very ethereal, very, it takes you into another dimension as it took me into another dimension writing that music. And my, my newer Christmas album, the third of the Christmas albums called The Winter Fantasy has a lot of that quality. It's very relaxing, very, transcendental, shall we say, and people just say it has a magic. I wouldn't have done albums like that had I not had this condition. When someone is facing something like that, what would you say to them? What was it that kept your spirits up? Well, I'm a very determined person, and even though I was heartbroken, I felt as though my best friend had betrayed me, the guitar, I'm always adventurous, and I knew that somehow I'd find a solution. I left Beverly Hills. I moved to Miami. I have a whole chapter describing, or maybe a couple of chapters describing all the craziness that I went through in Miami and all. I love the Spanish language, of course, so I was entranced with the Latin culture. And at the same time as I was desperately searching for a solution to focal dystonia, I was also loving uh, La Vida Loca, the, the being part of the Latin culture, speaking the language, getting to know all the different musicians, because I was a fan of so many Latin artists, and I got to meet just about every single one. And what kept me going? Well, I just kept struggling on, and then I met a wonderful Croatian guitarist, finally. He s told me he loved the color of my voice, which surprised me, because I thought, oh, I'm the world's worst singer. But then I heard my voice recorded, and I thought, well, there is a quality, and it's perfect for the type of romantic songs that I want to write. So I started writing songs, and he showed me some of the folky techniques, because he was a classical guitarist, and he was known as the kind of like a Simon and Garfunkel duo back in the day in Dubrovnik. I went to Dubrovnik. I met a composer who he introduced me to, who was like the Beethoven of Croatia, who'd written all kinds of music from... Uh, folk music to symphonies to operas to a guitar concerto. Jello Yusuk and I uh, was given the rights to his music to translate, uh, not translate, actually do new lyrics to his music. And they're beautiful. It's sort of a mixture of Russian and Italian beauty. That, that's how I, I hear it. <laughs> it's, just, it's a language that is kind of hard when you hear it, but uh, when you hear it sung, it's absolutely exquisite and so on. I just fell in love with some of these melodies, and that got me on my way. Uh, I began touring with Surgeon Javarje, and we did some concerts here in Canada, some in the U.S. Then, well, let's see, I moved to back to L.A. I moved to Santa Monica. Could not find the right person to play with, and it became it was just not practical to continue with someone living in New Jersey. A surgeon and his family lived in New Jersey. Anyway, it's a whole long story. I've gone through, I guess I'm on my third duo partner now. 
uh, who's a young 26-year-old who's absolutely fantastic, wonderful baritone voice, and sometimes in the course of the concerts he does some solos, and he accompanies me, and he also has a degree in classical guitar, plus it doesn't hurt that he's 6'4 and a wonderful model, <laughs> and uh, uh, we've loved touring together, and we have some concerts coming up uh, that are getting put together and a Christmas tour, so it, it's it's great to be making music with someone of a total different generation who uh is wonderful to tour with and I'm still I've still love composing music and also doing this book has been uh keeping me busy day and night. I read an audio book too so it'll be out sometime next year. I read the whole first biography and I thought how did I write such a long book? But looking back I pinched myself at all the amazing adventures I had. What is the best thing about being Leona Boyd? <laughs> the best thing about being me is that uh, I can do so many different things, I guess. I can play guitar, I can sing, I can write songs, I can paint, I can travel the world. And I've been, I just live with great gratitude these days that I have had and continue to have a life. I mean, I still hope my soulmate will come one of these days. I have a musical soulmate in, in Peter, that's for sure. But there are lonely times too. Everything isn't always perfect. I'm very grateful for the fans that I've had that, you know, support me by buying my music and coming to concerts and, and enjoying my books. I'm thrilled now that all the albums going back to the seventies are all up on iTunes and people all over the world send me messages saying how certain pieces move them or maybe they're practicing a certain piece and they ask for advice. And I can be contacted through my website, classicalguitar.com or leonaboyd.com. And I'm very honored that uh, I've been awarded different awards and still want to keep touring, hopefully do more international concerts. I guess I'm very grateful to my parents because they always encourage creativity in their kids, no matter what form it takes, what manifestation But when I was about to, well, when I told my husband that I wanted to get divorced, he said, but you could just paint, my darling. I said, it's not the same. I have music. I have a gift of music. And now I'm going to do this crazy thing called singing and songwriting. And, and I somehow pulled it off. So I'm very proud. <laughs> and my songs are like my children. Everyone has a story and everyone is, is, is just become a part of me. And I love performing them on the stage. I hope you get to hear me one of these days. Oh, I do too. Well, speaking of the fact that you tour all over the place, and again, people can visit the website. It's leonaboyd.com. Leona is L-I-O-N-A. This interview is going to be heard by people, no doubt, all over the world. What would you say to anyone who's tuned in? Wow, well, thank you for listening to my story. And uh, I know, Paul, you have interviewed so many interesting people of all, uh, the whole spectrum. I mean, kudos to you for going after people like like me and allowing us to tell our stories and and share our, our careers and our interests and hobbies and passions. What would I say to people? Well, I mean, music really has enriched my life. I think no matter what level you play on what instrument, I mean, though I'm a little prejudiced, I think classical guitar is the most beautiful instrument in the world. But even just strumming a guitar simply to accompany yourself or just a simple little piece, the sound is beautiful. You know, when you're learning to play the guitar, even it, it's, it's a beautiful feeling to caress a guitar in your arms. It's, 
it's not a struggle. I mean, I'm sure learning some instruments, like if you're starting to learn the violin, it's probably torturous for your parents or, or neighbors, right? But it's just a very simple instrument. It's very, very complicated to get to the top of the world in the classical guitar world. Boy, I was one of only five signed artists around the world when I was with CBS Masterworks for quite a few years. So I was a real virtuoso. I'm not now, but uh, that was then and this is now. You just got to find what what resonates with you, which instrument appeals to you, what, what you want to do. That's what I would say. You know, <laughs> I'm one of the lucky ones, really, that got to do what I do my thing, as the slogan of the 60s goes, and it's actually the title of one of my songs. So, yes, life is too short not to do something that you love, in love with a passion, and, and a passion for something can develop, and you meet people around that. And it sustains you. And also, it's very good to have an inner life and an inner creativity because without that, you know, songs sometimes you pluck from your imagination. They're not always autobiographical. I mean, some of my songs are, but some aren't. And now I'm able to do something like the tribute I wrote for Gordon Lightfoot. I'm very happy that I was able to do a special song for him. And he told me how thrilled he was when he heard the demo. So uh, when I see him soon, I'm going to send him the actual album. Uh, so I'm going to give him the actual album because I haven't sent it to him yet. Very bad of me because it's just come out. And someone that I got to know oh, over 30 years ago, Prince Philip, who is 96 now, married to the Queen of England. He has been my pen pal. We have written letters back and forth and it's just platonic. We're both fans of each other's. He loves my music and we have love of the horse, and earlier this year, I was very lucky. He invited me to go to Windsor Castle. I had been there before in the 90s, and this time I spent the afternoon with him, and I sang the song along with a few others. We talked about life and poetry and his life and how he was retiring from public life, and I saw some of the paintings he did, a lot painted at Balmoral. And, you know, I was a little English immigrant on a on a ship many years ago. Never thought that I would have this privileged pen pal relationship with Prince Philip. Back in the 90s, he and the Queen invited me to stay at Windsor Castle and give a private concert for them and their friends. And at that time, the Queen's mother was alive. I got to chat with her and stroke the corgi dogs and uh, stay overnight, have our own butler. It was It was such a thrill to do something like that. You know, some of the tours I've done can be really grueling, but then you get some gigs like that. Playing at Windsor Castle is pretty special, I think. And also I played for the Summit Conference, all the different leaders of the Western world. It was Margaret Thatcher back in the day and Ronald Reagan and, of course, Pierre Trudeau, who I knew well. And music has always led me to all kinds of interesting experiences and some crazy experiences, too like playing for the O.J. Simpson jury or uh, playing for the Cree native people up in a place called Moose Factory that you've probably never heard of or flying with Comandante Zero over, over the stormy skies of Costa Rica and hanging out with his gorillas on the beach and going looking for dolphins. I mean, I really have packed a lot into my life. Well, that's very well put to pack a lot into your life. It's very inspiring. Thank you. I want to inspire people. I, I mean, I'm not that young anymore, but at middle age, you can still reinvent yourself and, and keep being productive and creative and enjoying life. 
It's never too late. I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. I'm hoping you can tell us about how you developed this friendship. How did you come to begin corresponding with Prince Philip? Ah, well, it goes back to the 70s, I suppose, when um, Pierre Trudeau, who was our prime minister, invited me to play a concert, well, not a full concert, but a few pieces, in Ottawa at the National Arts Center. And it was a private dinner that he was holding for the Queen and Prince Philip. I know I met them afterwards, and then I was able to give them one of my early LPs. And I got a thank you letter from his office, I think it was, probably not him at the beginning, and then I wrote back and sent when the next LP came out. And then I got a request to do some charity and some Rolf Command performances over the years. He, as you probably know, was very involved with World Wildlife Fund, also the Duke of Edinburgh Award, which is very important in Britain. So I performed a lot of these charities, and we just we just hit it off. I don't know. Maybe because I'm a Cancer, he's a Gemini. It's never, ever been romantic, but uh, he's a big, big fan of my music. I think he's a, a wonderful human being with a great sense of humor. He's very caring. I mean, when we had the earthquake in L.A., this is many years ago, he sent a telegram hoping our house was all right. <laughs> and just whenever I was traveling some exotic place in the world, I'd send him postcards, and he'd write back and tell me what his life was like. And it's, it's such a treasure to me that I have all these different letters over the years. And this last, well, this year, I was able to go back and play a song for him, one that I had written called Love of the Horse, and he and the Queen both love horses. So I just feel very privileged that I've had this wonderful correspondence and I asked if he wouldn't mind if I shared this, you know, in writing the book, because he has been an important part of my life. And who would have thought me, the little English immigrant who came on a boat three times, I crossed the Atlantic with my parents, didn't realize I'd be playing in Windsor Castle and getting regular letters from Buckingham Palace and Balmoral and Sandringham. Yeah, I'm a very lucky lady. It's just wonderful. Tell me, is there anything about him that has surprised you? Um, well, everybody knows he has a great sense of humor. Um, it surprised me how much he knew about classical music and history. He was intrigued with the technique that I did, and I was really quite a master at this called tremolo, where you make both, well, you make the guitar sound like it's two instruments. The thumb is playing the harmony, and the fingers very rapidly are playing the melody all on one string. And he was intrigued. He said, no, how do you play this tremolo technique? I remember explaining it to him at a Royal Command performance in uh, Edinburgh. And he's always interested in gadgets and technology, <laughs> although <laughs> he's frustrated just as I am too. What surprised me about him is that he had the time to write to me. And what really surprised me this year, he said he wrote all the letters himself. He typed them on a typewriter. I mean, he always writes, you know, Dear Leona, Love Philip in longhand, cursive. But uh, he actually types the letters. And I imagined he'd probably just dictate something to a, one of his equerries or pages. But no, he takes the time. So I was very touched. And my handwriting isn't quite as good as it used to be. So I've actually resorted to typing letters and just putting Dear Prince Philip, Love Leona. And actual handwriting somehow makes it easier, but it was very nice to know that he actually has typed every one of these letters. 
Prince Philip has always seemed to find the time, you know, to, to write these letters to me, which is amazing because he keeps such a busy schedule. He's done thousands. I think it was something like 22,000 public appearances. That's what I read. He didn't boast about that. I read that <laughs> just recently, you know, because he's retired. Also, I think he's been the most wonderful consort to the queen. I mean, he's her constant companion. He told me they have such a wonderful relationship. And that's so much to be admired. He's 96 years old and, you know, they fell in love with him. We're both very young and I'm sure it's not an easy role. And yet he's, he's just been the perfect, perfect husband to our wonderful queen who are, again, I feel very lucky that I played for her a few times, but it's somehow her husband who's found the time to correspond with me. And he just loves music so much. I, don't know whether people realize that. He's actually quite knowledgeable about music too. And critical. Sometimes he'll, he'll say, uh, yes, he likes these lyrics. But, uh, I remember once he told me that my footstool was a bit shabby. It needed a new coat of paint. <laughs> and he complained that I was using the same letterhead. <laughs> when I'd left California, I still was using that letterhead even though I was living somewhere else. But he always does it in a very kindly, funny, humorous way. So. I, I just love getting letters from him. It's really special. Thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much, Paul. I enjoyed chatting with you and uh, hope our paths cross. Indeed, I hope so. And thank you for reading my books. I think, uh, well, the first one is a long book. Thank you for, I know you, you read through that and got to know me. So I, I almost feel that I know you a little bit because I read a lot about you too online. So the joys of the internet. We can <laughs> all know each other through the internet these days. Well, thanks again. And for everyone out there, please check out the website, leonaboyd.com. And the book, it's No Remedy for Love. There's an album of the same title. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good. <laughs>